Father, we just come to you and uh, we do uh, pray, Lord, today, especially for the family of Diane. And Lord, we know she's with you and we're excited about that, Lord, but, but death's a tough thing. And we're going to see that in this passage today. And Lord, uh, it means separation from loved ones. And for those left behind, Lord, it's a difficult time. And I, I pray especially for Winford and I know everyone in here is praying for him. And we pray for the rest of the family and just ask you to, to give them comfort during this difficult time. Father, I pray for uh, our study today as we look at the fall of Adam and Eve, where, all, where death came into this world, Lord, this terrible thing called death. Uh, Lord, this sad, sad day where, where they disobeyed you and, and uh, brought a curse and death upon this world. Lord, all of us would have done the same thing, and all of us are culpable for, for the things that we've done, Lord. We've all eaten of the forbidden fruit. We've all done things that, that we shouldn't have done. And, and Lord, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're responsible to you for that. And, Lord, but the good news is, the good news is that we have a Savior. We have Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, uh, we can say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Lord, we know that through Christ we have victory over the grave and we have victory over the death. And that's the lesson you want to teach us today, Lord. But, uh, but let's go back to this fall and help us to... Uh, just see what happened here as we, as just what a terrible thing that happened here on that sad, sad day when Adam and Eve disobeyed you and, and uh, uh, the tragic results, Lord, we, we see all around us today. So we just ask that you bless this study. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, the last time we left off, we had looked at that verse where uh, Adam and Eve uh, fell uh, into sin and brought death and a curse upon the earth and and they fell uh, some four thousand years ago and and uh, uh, it was a it was they succumbed to the same uh, temptations that we all succumb to the lust of the eyes uh, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and so that's what we want to look at we want to go back to verse number six in chapter three and and uh, let's look at the fall and look what happened here. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the tree that God had said, you do not eat of this tree. When she saw it was good for food, uh, that's the lust of the flesh, and it was pleasant to the eyes, that's obviously the lust of the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. In other words, so wise that that uh, you didn't need God. You were as wise as God. You knew the difference between good and evil. Oh, what a curse that was. But she took of the fruit and she ate, and she also gave her husband with her, and he ate. You know, I've heard all sorts of narratives about the fall of Adam and Eve, and, and many of the narratives I've heard make light of that fall uh, that that uh, happened some 4,000 years ago. Uh, but there's nothing funny about it. Nothing funny about it. It was a sad, sad day for the human race. I would term it, call it the second saddest day ever. We'll talk about the saddest day ever here in a few minutes. But, but the day Adam and Eve fell was a sad, sad day. There's a poem by Laura Green that she wrote called A Sad, Sad Day, and she certainly didn't have Adam and Eve in mind when she wrote it. But listen to the last stanza of this poem. I'll read the whole poem, but listen uh, carefully to the last stanza because it really depicts the situation of Adam and Eve. Listen to what she says. She says, it's a sad, sad day when the lights go dim. It's a sad, sad day when the sun goes down. It's a sad, sad day when it rains. It's a sad, sad day when the moon gets covered by the mist of darkness. It's a sad, sad day when you cry. It's a sad, sad, sad day when you make a lie. It's a sad, sad day when you fail. But it, the saddest, sad day of all is when you sail into the sea of darkness. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve had done when they ate of the forbidden fruit. They had sailed into the sea of darkness and they had taken the whole human race on the voyage with them. 
Now, as we come to chapter 3, we're going to get a peek of the beginning of their journey into darkness. And the first thing that happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned and they ate of the forbidden fruit was that they died spiritually. God warned them that if you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And as soon as they ate of that fruit, they died spiritually and their souls became darkened. Look at verse number 7. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now, that's interesting. They knew then that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So just as God had said, he had warned them, you eat of this forbidden fruit, this fruit of the knowledge of uh, good and evil, then you are going to surely die. And as soon as they ate of it, that they, here was Adam and Eve who had only known the light of goodness, and now they see the darkness of evil. Now, no doubt before they fell, they were filled with the luminescent glory of God. I mean, they glowed uh, with the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. And as soon as they ate of that fruit, they died spiritually, and that glory was gone. And, and why was it gone? Because they became sinners and God cannot inhabit sin. And so the glory of God was removed from them and they knew that they were naked. Now you take a look at that light bulb above your head right there and you see what you see coming from that light bulb. You don't see the light bulb. You see the glory of the light of that light bulb. But you take the electricity that flows into that light bulb and you take that electricity away and what you're going to see, you're going to see wire and glass. You're not going to see light anymore. And that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve when that glory, that electricity, that, that power of God was removed from their light. They realized, all they saw then was flesh and bone, and they realized that they were naked. And uh, I mean, they were total, they looked totally different to themselves. And so what did they do? They tried to fix it. Just like we all try to fix our problems when we lose the glory of God, when we're, when we're estranged from God, we try to fix it. We try to make things better. And so what did they do? They sewed together fig leaves and they made themselves clothing to cover their nakedness, their darkness, and their sh the shame of their sin. And that's a picture of what people have been doing ever since. They have lost the glory of God. We've lost the presence of God in our lives. And what we've tried to do, we've tried to fix it ourselves with all sorts of religious uh, fig leaves. And, and, and so what we do, we think that somehow our good works or our religious activity are going to cover that darkness. We need a lot more than good works and a lot more than religious activities to cover our darkness. Listen to what Isaiah says about our good works and our religious works over in Isaiah 64. Flip with me over there. Go to Isaiah 64. And look down at verse number 6. Isaiah 64. Go to the book of Psalms and in, in the middle of the Bible and then head towards the end of the Bible and you'll come to the book of Isaiah. It's a big book, easy to find. Get to chapter 64. And look down at verse 6, and listen, listen to what the Lord says to us in verse number 6. He says, we are all, and, and, when, when the word all in the Hebrew means all. We are all like an unclean thing. And all, every single thing we do, all our righteousness, our self-righteousness, our religious works, our good works, all of those things are like filthy rags. So we all, look at what he says here, we all fade like a leaf. Now what was going to happen to those leaves that Adam and Eve made these clothes out of these leaves? What was going to happen to those leaves in a few days? They were going to fade away. They were going to die and they were going to fade away and they were going to be naked again. They couldn't cover up what they had lost. And we can't cover up what we have lost. Uh, uh, if they had not sinned, those garments of light, those robes of righteousness that God had placed on them would have, would have lasted forever. But they sinned and they died spiritually and they lost that light and they were naked. 
And, and look, at, look at the last part of this verse in, 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 in uh, the last part of verse number six. It says, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Away from what? Away from God. Away from the light. We've sailed into, away from the light and into the darkness. And it's a sad, sad day. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was a sad, sad day day. When you were born into this world with a sin nature, I mean, we're all excited about a baby being born, but in some ways it's a sad, sad day because we're born with this nature of Adam, this sin nature. We're born naked in this world without the light of God. We're born into a world of darkness and we need the light of God. Now look at what he says going back to Genesis. Let's read verse number eight, Genesis chapter three. Verse number eight, let's read seven along with it because you really need them both again. We've already read seven, but let's read it again. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And look how sad, what a sad, sad day this is. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the bushes. There's maybe a better translation there. Among the bushes in the garden. I mean, you remember how, how all of this began. God had placed them in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, we learned as we looked for the location of the Garden of Eden, you couldn't find it today because it's hidden from us now. But it was on the outskirts of the city of Zion. It was on the outskirts of the earth. And every day in the cool of the morning, that would be, that, I mean, the, 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 that would mean in the cool of the day, in the, it would, would mean the morning. So in the, in the cool of the morning, God would walk from the city of Zion over to the Garden of Eden, and he would fellowship with Adam and Eve. And they were walking in the light of God, in the fellowship of God, and then they ate of this fruit. I mean, the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, walked with them every day. Now, let me tell you who that was. For him to walk, he had to have a body. And so that is a theophany. That is Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, whom they got to walk with every day. They got to talk with him every day. But then one morning, they decided, listen to the serpent, and he ate of the fruit, and she gave the fruit to Adam, and they died spiritually. And they thought they were going to die immediately because God had said, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And so they thought they were going to die physically immediately, although they misunderstood that. And so what did they do? They hid themselves from the Lord. Now, they didn't have a very good concept of the Lord, did they? They had some really bad theology because uh, God is omniscient. God knows everything. He knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. God is omnipresent. I mean, David put it like this in the Psalms, if I make my bed in the depths of hell, you are there. And so you can't hide from God. And somehow they thought that they could hide from God. And, and, and God is also truth, and he cannot lie. And God had said that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. God still says that. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. And God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And, and, and so his truth hasn't changed. And the wages of sin is death. It is eternal death. So you can understand why they're hiding. I mean, they're hiding from a God who can, can destroy them immediately. And so here you see them in verse number eight, and they're hidden. Now, even today, I, I mean, there's a people in this room who think somehow that they're hiding from God. Uh, uh, there's a world of people out there who are living in darkness today thinking that they're hiding from God, that somehow they can escape his wrath. And how do they think he can ex they can escape his wrath? Well, there's several ways they hide from God. First of all, you just pretend God doesn't exist. I know all sorts of people just think, I can pretend God doesn't exist, and then I don't have to worry about what God can do to me. Well, let me tell you what, you can pretend all you want, but you can't change the fact that God exists. 
And I'll tell you this right now, if you will open up your eyes and you will just look around, if you'll just look at a sunset, if you'll look at a, the moon and the tides and all of the things, if you'll look at your own eyes and your hands and your feet and your body, look at a little baby when it's born, just look around and you, you are a fool, the Bible says, if you don't believe, agnostic, that means without knowledge, a fool. You are a fool if you don't believe that God exists. He exists, so you can't hide from God by pretending he doesn't exist. So, so a lot of people will agree with that. But then what they do, they try to change who God is. They try to change him into somebody he's not. They try to change him into who they want him to be. And, and uh, uh, the, 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 the thing in our society today is make God into the God who is a God of love. God certainly is a God of love. But God is also a God of righteousness, and he judges sin, and he requires absolute perfection for us to stand in his presence. That's why all Adam and Eve did was ate of the forbidden fruit, that one little sin, that one grand sin, really, that, on that sad, sad day. And they lost their relationship with God because God is perfect, and he, will, he, he wants us to be perfect. And he doesn't change. He still judges sin. And I don't care what kind of concept you want to create or what kind of God you want to conceive in your mind, the only God we know is the true God who's revealed to us in the Word of God. And that's why he's given us the Word of God. I went to a funeral a while back about a, for a man who I knew fairly well, uh, and the, it was one of those celebrations of life. Well, I don't know why you'd amen that, but it was one of those celebrations of, celebration of it, was, it was one of those celebrations of life where, where they told funny stories about the guy, and, and I, I, I don't think the word Jesus Christ was mentioned in the whole funeral. So it was all about his life and all the good things he had done in his life and all the wonderful things he had done in his life, and now his life was over. And I remember the moderator or the uh, officiant of that funeral, as this funeral closed, he said, every t from this point on, every time he saw the leaves rustling in the wind, uh, he would be reminded that his dead friend, he would be reminded of his dead friend because he would, his friend was in those leaves and he was in the wind, and uh, he was in the tree. Man, I refrained myself, and that was really hard to do. But I wanted to stand up and shout, you are a liar. You are a liar, and what you're touting here is nothing more than religious fig leaves. You're creating your own theology. You, we don't have permission to do that. God has revealed himself in his word, and he's who he says he is. And I'm glad he's who he says he is. But we don't get to make him who we want him to be. He is who he is. That's why his name, Jehovah, means I am who I am. And we don't change that. And, and no matter how hard we do try to change that, God does not change. He's immutable. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And when we try to change him, what we're doing, we're hide, trying to hide from the true and living God. And we're, and we're wearing fig leaves and it won't work. You know, we can think we're hiding from God and we can dress ourselves up in all sorts of religious fig leaves. We can dress ourselves in robes of self-righteousness and we can hide in the bushes of bad theology, but we can't change the fact that we have sinned against a holy God and the wages of sin is death. Let me tell you what, everybody in this room has eaten of the forbidden fruit. We've all eaten of things that God has told us we cannot eat of. And so we're all sinners and we're all heading for hell and we're heading for death. And death is a terrible, terrible thing. There is nothing pretty about death. Death means separation from the people you love. I've been a pastor for a long time, and I've seen a lot of people die. I've seen people on their deathbed take their very last breath, and it's never, never a pretty sight.
to see someone die or someone who has died. It is a terrible sight because death is a terrible thing. It's a sad, sad day when anybody dies, whether you're a believer or unbeliever. It is a sad, sad day. God hates death. God, why God gives us victory over death. He's given us victory over death through Jesus Christ because he hates death. Death is not a pretty thing to see. And, and like I say, when we die, look, we leave people behind. And those people are separated from us until they get to glory themselves. But if they don't know the Lord, you're separated from God forever. And so you're separated from each other forever. And I've done so many funerals where, hey, I knew in my heart that this death was final. These people weren't going to heaven. I mean, they were going to live in darkness for eternity. They had sailed off into darkness and they were going to get even, it was going to get even darker. They hadn't turned around and they hadn't come to the light. And so death is a terrible, terrible thing. But thank goodness for the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And that's what we begin to see now as we come to the next verse. Look at the next verse, verse number 9. It says in verse number 9, it says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you, Adam? I remember when I was a young boy, we, my parents took us to see the movie The Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie or not. Let me tell you what, don't ever watch any so-called Bible movies because they they, they're all blasphemous. They all change the, the way the Bible tells the story and they all, so they all end up being blasphemous. But I, we did go see this movie and, and Adam and Eve sinned and then this voice came out of ha heaven and said, where are you, Adam? You know, like, I'm going to get you, Adam. You know, I don't think that was the voice that Adam heard that day. I think the voice that Adam heard that day after him and Eve had fallen was the small, still compassionate voice of the Lord. The Lord whose heart was broken because he was in fellowship with Adam and Eve and they had trampled all over the fact that they were in fellowship with God. And in a, with a broken heart, he says, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Adam? You know, it reminds me of Elijah. When Elijah had that great victory on Mount Carmel and he had killed the 600 prophets of Baal and Jezebel said, hey, I'm going to do so to you before the end of the day. You're going to be dead before the end of the day. And here was this prophet who had stood on that mountain and risked his life and, 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 and then had a fire come down from heaven and, and consumed the, the a sacrifice on the altar. And he had all of this power. And then this woman threatened him and he threw it all out the window and he began to run. And I mean, he ran and he ran and he ran. He ran 250 miles running from this woman. He went all the way from Samaria down into Sinai to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And he hid in a cave as if he could hide from God. And he heard the earthquake and he heard the, the storm and he heard the thunder and he heard all of these things, but God wasn't in those. Then he heard a still, small voice from the Lord. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, what would you run 250 miles far waste your time doing this? You're going to go back. I mean, what are you doing here? You know, the Lord didn't need the answer to that question. He knew what Elijah was doing there. Elijah was afraid, and, and, and he, was, he was afraid of dying. And so he had hid himself in a cave as far away from Jezebel as he could get. But that question was a loaded rhetorical question because really what he was saying was this, Elijah, what are you doing here? Don't you remember what I did for you on Carmel? Don't you remember the great power you had, the great victory you had? You think I'm going to let Jezebel, Jezebel kill you? I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Get up, get out of here, and go back to work. That's what the Lord was saying to him. In a similar fashion, 
what God was saying to Adam was this, where are you, Adam? In other words, God knew where Adam was, but, but this is a loaded rhetorical question. He says, what he's saying is, look where you're at, Adam. Look at you now. You were the crown jewel of my creation. You were filled with the very glory of God. And look at you now. I mean, look at you now. I mean, you're, you're, you're hiding in the bushes. What a sad, sad day, Adam. I mean, this is really where you want to be, hiding in the bushes covered with fig leaves. You know, I think the Lord comes to all of us at some point in our lives, and he asks us this, these two questions. He asks us, where are you? What are you doing here? I mean, is this really where you want to be in life? He asks us all that question. What, why are you hiding from me? I mean, why are you living for yourself? Living in darkness, headed to hell, when all of that can be changed. You know, I remember in the hours before I got saved, really the days before I got saved, God was asking me those questions. Where are you, George? What are you doing here, George? I mean, take a look at yourself, George. Is this really what you want for your life? Is this really where you want to be in life? Hiding from me, living in darkness, heading for the abyss. Is this really what you want? And I remember on that road in New Mexico saying to the Lord, no, this isn't what I want, Lord. I know my life is a mess. This isn't what I want. I don't want to live in darkness. But Lord, I've, I've, I've gone too far. You know, I, I don't really know if there's any hope for me. And I know the Lord spoke to me just as clearly as I'm speaking to you now, but not audibly, but in my heart. And he said, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. So here's Adam. And he realizes at this point he's been caught. <laughs> it's futile to hide from God. And so look at what he says in verse number 10. Picking up in verse number 10. He says, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked. I knew something drastic had happened to me. Man, all of a sudden, I'm, he's, you got to get this picture of Adam. He's, he's, he's filled with the luminescent glory of God. I mean, he's glowing. Much more so than any light bulb. I mean, he's glowing with the Shekinah glory of God. Him and Eve both. And then he realizes all of a sudden that he's naked. And so I hid myself, Adam says. And the Lord says to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Well, God knew he had eaten of the tree. God knew before the foundation of the world that he was going to eat of that tree. He knew when he was going to eat of that tree. But what was God doing here? God was seeking a confession. You know, you can't get saved until you're willing to confess that you're a sinner, that you've sinned against a holy, perfect God, and that his heaven is holy. He's not going to let you into that heaven unless you're holy too. And you can't make yourself holy. Adam was laying here. He had lost that luminescent glow, that Shekinah glory those robes of righteousness were gone and how did he try to fix it he put on fig leaves just like everybody tries to do in this world you think somehow i can i can go to church or i can read my bible or i can do this or i can do that and i can kind of fix this thing or i can do uh, you know give to charities or i can you know whatever i can be nice to my neighbor and somehow i can fix it those are all good things don't get me wrong but they won't fix a dead soul they won't fix a dead spirit. God has to fix that. He has to regenerate us. Jesus said, you must be born again. And before he can do that, and here's where so many people miss out, you got to admit you're a sinner. You got to admit you're lost. You've got to admit you've got a problem. And so, I mean, here's Adam and Eve, and instead of, making a confession and admitting, Lord, I'm sorry, we ate of the fruit, we shouldn't have done it. Look what he does, he makes excuses. Look at verse number 12. I love this excuse. This is one I use. No, I don't use this. But 
Then the man said, and I'm going to give you this where I, where I think a better translation. Then the man said, that woman, that woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. You know, that is almost laughable if it wasn't so sad. Because you remember back a chapter before, days earlier, maybe months earlier, when God gave Eve to Adam. You remember how excited he was? You remember what he said? I mean, he said, you know, he felt so complete. He felt, in, I mean, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. I mean, I could just hear him. And, and then he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And we're going to be together forever. We're in this thing forever. But now he's eaten of the fruit. He's lost his glory. He's facing certain death for his sin. And what does he do? He throws Eve under the bus. That's what he does. And not only that, watch this. He says, the woman you gave me is responsible. But really what he's saying here, he's saying it's the woman's fault and it's your fault for giving me the woman. Oh, how often we do the same thing. I mean, we beg God for some blessing in life. And then when we get that blessing and we misuse that blessing, or we just live for ourselves, then the blessing becomes a curse. And we curse God for giving us that blessing. I remember years ago, not really that long ago, I, man, I just had this desire to be a gentleman farmer, just to have me a little piece of land. And I begged God for the perfect piece of land. And I have no doubt that he gave me that land. And I, I had, right next door to Marty, Marty helped me find that land. And I remember, I remember uh, we had a guy laser level that land, and we built about an acre pond out there on that land. We fenced it with a three-rail fence. This is the prettiest piece of land you've ever seen. I mean, it was gorgeous. But it had weeds. And those weeds grew faster than I could cut them. And pollywogs got in my pond and in there with my bass and my brim. And, and I saw snakes and, and uh, poisonous snakes and spiders and all sorts of stuff out there. And it was all sorts of work. And I remember at one point with God saying, well, why aren't you doing, you need to be doing this for this person over here. Look, that land you gave me is taking up all my time. You know, that's the way I saw it then. It wasn't a blessing anymore. It became a curse. And God did get me out of that land because it had, was more than I thought it was going to be the work was. I heard somebody the other day, you know, I, I, they, somebody blessed them with a car. They needed a car and somebody blessed them with a car. And they were talking about that car and they said, that car, that car, it wasn't the car that God blessed me with. It was that car just won't get me here. That car has caused me, I've had to make repairs on the car. Well, let me tell you what, you get a car, you're going to have to make repairs on it. You get a car, you've got to pay insurance on it. You get a car, you've got to pay gas on it. You need to think those th things through if you want God to bless you with a car. Everything in this life that's worth having comes. You want a baby? Hey, babies poop. And they have, their diapers have to be changed. And they wake you up at night. And all of a sudden, that baby you've been begging for becomes that baby. You know, it's not that baby. It's still your child. It's still a blessing. And so, so you know, we, that's an attitude choice we have. We can see things as blessings from God, or we can be self-centered and, and ungrateful. You understand how that reeks of ingratitude? When God gives us a blessing and all of a sudden we term it as some kind of curse? Shame on us. And we do that in so many areas of life and, and, and it, it's so so wrong. Let's see where I left off here now. So Adam makes this excuse and, and now the woman gets her turn. Look at verse number 13. So the Lord turns to the woman and, and, and it's as if he says, what's your excuse? And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And what does the woman say? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And that was true. But 
but she still shouldn't have ate of the fruit. I mean, here's Adam. He's blaming God and the woman, and the woman's blaming the servant. Nobody's taking responsibility for this sad, sad day. Nobody's taking responsibility for this tragic fall. And so what have they done? They both demonstrated that they're unwilling to take responsibility. And let me tell you what, if you're unwilling to take responsibility for your sin, then you're never going to confess your sin, and you're never going to repent of your sin, and you're never going to see a need for a Savior. And that's exactly what's happening right here. I mean, they were unwilling to take responsibility for their sin. And i got to tell you, I, I'm getting sick and tired of this society we live in where everybody refuses to take responsibility for their own actions. We're a bunch of ungrateful excuse makers. We're, this country is full of people like that. And all of us are guilty of that. We blame our sins on someone or something else. My daddy didn't really treat me right when I was growing up. I was bullied in school. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we can blame our crummy lives on. But at some point, we need to look in the mirror, and we need to look at ourselves, and we need to realize that there's no sin that we've sinned that we couldn't have turned from. That every sin that we sin in life is a choice that we make. And if we have a terrible background, we can change that background by turning to the Lord and doing the right thing in every situation. You know, I tell people all the time, I, I, the most important thing about a Christian is their integrity. Their integrity. Their integrity in every area of their life. If you have no integrity, if you're a man, you're not a man if you don't have integrity. If you're a woman and you don't have integrity, you're not a woman. You're a wuss if you don't have any integrity. Integrity defines who you are. And it's time we stand up. That's a, integrity is a choice we make. We make a choice to live righteously. We make a choice to be honest and true. We make a choice to love the Lord. We got to take responsibility for that and quit blaming others. You can turn that ship around at any time by taking responsibility, confessing your sin, and asking God for help. And Adam and Eve didn't do that. And until we take responsibility and we repent and confess our sin, we never get to the point where we see the need for a Savior. A Savior. Who's that Savior? Jesus Christ, who died for our sins on the saddest of sad days. Why was it the saddest of sad days? Let me tell you why. Because at the point Jesus was crucified on that cross, the human race wasn't just hiding from their creator. They had set out to destroy their creator. Can it get any sadder than that? I mean, do you understand who it was that hung on that cross for you and me? It is the same God who walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He is the same God who spoke and the world and the stars came into existence. He is the same God who reached down in the clay and formed Adam and took Eve from the rib of Adam in this very personal experience. He actually breathed into the nostrils of Adam. He loved Adam so much. He breathed his spirit into the nostrils of Adam. And they threw it all away. And the whole human race has thrown it all away. And we've tried to hide from God. And at this point, that what makes this so sad is we weren't just hiding from God. We wanted to kill God. We didn't want anything to do with God. I think the saddest, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is in John chapter 1 where it says, He came into His own, 
and his own received him not. He loved us so much. He gave his only begotten son. He came into this world to, for us and his own received him not. He came to the human race. He came to the nation of Israel to save us. And we received him not. I mean, he had come to the nation of Israel to ask him that same question he had asked Adam and Eve. Where are you? Where are you? Look at this nation. You know, they thought they were so proud. They thought they were something. When Jesus spoke to them about being in bondage, they said, we've never been in bondage. And here they were. They were under the Roman yoke. They, they, you know, if a soldier told one of them to grab his gear, they had to grab it and carry it. If they carried it, you know, at least a mile. And Jesus said, if they asked you to carry it a mile, take it two miles. They were under the bondage of Rome. And Jesus says, look at where you are. You're under the bondage of Rome, but more importantly, you're living in darkness under the bondage of sin. Is this really where you want to be? I can help you. Is this really where you want to be? But they didn't want us help. Like most people in this world don't want us help now. They would rather hide in the bushes. They would rather head straight to hell than have this man rule over them. To have Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. And so they sent him, the Jews sent him to a cross to be brutally murdered. And what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Because it was on that cross that he died. And it's no wonder as he hung there on that cross that the whole earth was covered in darkness. Even though it was daytime, the whole earth was covered in darkness. And the reason it was covered in darkness is because it was the saddest, sad day ever. When Jesus Christ was dying up there for our sins. I mean, imagine that God taking on the wrath of God for all the sins of the human race for all, for all time. He was up there dying for us and that's why it was so dark. It was the saddest of sad days, but the saddest day ever was also the greatest day ever for mankind. The greatest day ever. You know, when God saw Adam hiding in, the, in Eve and they were dressed in fig leaves and they're hiding in the bushes, there had to be, I, I don't know if he laughed or not, but it had to be, it had to be really funny to look at. But I don't think he laughed. I think he said to himself, what a pitiful sight. What a pitiful sight. You know, I think he looks around this world and he looks at proud, evil, sinful human beings living their lives in darkness, hiding from him, covered with fig leaves, thinking somehow that they can just create a God who's going to allow them into heaven, you know, because they want to believe that. Find that somewhere in the Word. You won't find it. And, and so they were a pitiful sight. And what we're going to see next week, what God did at that point was really interesting. I mean... It would seem that it would have been great if he just would have given them back the light and, and said, okay, I'm going to give, forgive you this one time. Don't eat of this fruit again. Well, he could have put another tree up and eventually they would have ate of it too. And he knew that. So he began the plan of redemption. And let me tell you how he began it. He killed animals. We'll see that next week. He killed some animals and he made animal skins for them to wear. Now, it, from a practical standpoint, animal skins are going to last a lot longer than fig leaves, aren't they? And so it seems pretty practical. But what happens at this point? What happens at this point? Here is the world, this perfect world where the lion is laying down with the lamb, where there's no death whatsoever in the world, and then he kills, God himself kills these animals in order to clothe Adam and Eve, in order to cover their nakedness, 
in order to cover their sin. And what he was doing, he was teaching them a great theological lesson right here. That to cover death and sin, it takes what? It takes life. And so he kills these animals, and, he, and, and, and so you have this blood sacrifice. Why blood? Because the life is in the blood. You ask any doctor where the life is, the life is in the blood. Without the blood, none of us live. The life is in the blood. And so he killed these animals that pointed to the sacrificial system that he would initiate with the nation of Israel as part of the redemption process. But here's the problem. The Bible tells us over in Hebrew that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. All it can do is cover sin and point to a greater offering. Look, there's not enough animals on this earth to cover the sins of the human race. Let me tell you what, there's not enough animals on the earth to cover your sin or my sin. To cover every evil thought that I've had since I've been born, every evil thing that I've done since I've been born, there are not enough animals on the earth to cover all of that. All they were doing were pointing to a blood sacrifice that would take place on that cross. When Jesus Christ, who is almighty God, died and shed his blood, there's life in that blood. It's the infinite blood, the infinite life of God. And so we clothe, and I know this seems hard to understand, but we have to, by faith, clothe ourselves, be sprinkled with that blood, with the eternal blood of Jesus Christ, to restore that glory that Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. And that's what all of this was pointing to. And so our Creator, I mean, the creator of the universe hung for us on a cross that saddest of sad days to reverse the course of mankind. Listen, we were all living in the land of the dying on the way to eternal death. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've appropriated his blood for your sins, then now you're living in the land of the dying on the way to the land of the living. This is the land of the dying. Every person in this room is going to die at some point. Diane's died this past couple of weeks. You're, hey, we're all going to follow her at some point. We're all going to die. The question is, what happens when we die? If we're, if we're on the course of this world, living in the land of the dying, heading on the way to eternal death, it's only going to get darker and darker and darker when we die. But if by faith we appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ to our souls, and we restore that new life, and we're regenerated, and we're made perfect in Jesus Christ, then now we're, on the, we're living in the land of the dying on the way to light. In the way and uh, the land of, of the living. And it's our choice. God's not going to make that choice for us. Adam and Eve had a choice. They chose to die. And you and I choose whether we're going to live or whether we're going to die. We choose to go, we can go right on living on the wide road that leads to death, eternal death, or we can live on the narrow road. And that narrow road simply means your faith is in Jesus Christ that that narrow road that leads to life eternal. Look, you'll never get on the narrow road if you don't come out of hiding. If you don't admit you're a sinner. If you don't take off the religious fig leaf. Let me tell you what, you want to have a religion, you get it through this word of God. You don't get it from, from a church, you don't get it by being born into a church, you the true religion is in the Word of God. The true God is revealed to us in the Word of God. The way of salvation is revealed to us in the Word of God. There is no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're, and you don't know Jesus Christ when you're dying, then you're on the way, you're living in the land of the dying on the way to the 
land of death. We have to have those robes of light to enter heaven. Those robes of the perfect righteousness of Christ. And that only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. You must be born again. We're all going to die. And it's going to be a sad, sad day when we die. Sad, sad day. I don't care whether you're a believer or unbeliever. It's a sad, sad day. But if we give our lives to Jesus Christ, that sad, sad day will be turned into the greatest day of our lives. Let me tell you the greatest day of Diane's life. It was, what was it, 18th? October the 17th. I mean, it was a great day when she married Winford. But when she saw the Lord in glory, it was an even greater day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the work that you've done to overcome the bad work that we've done. We thank you that Lord, you've turned this ship around. and Lord, that you've taken us out of the land of darkness and started, you've started leading us into the land of light, the land of life. Father, if there's anyone here who is still on that wide road leading, leading to destruction, Lord, I ask that you would press in their heart today the need for Jesus Christ in their lives. It's, it's a gift, Lord. The life you gave Adam and Eve was a gift. The life you've given us all was a gift. And we can make that eternal, uh, an eternal life of joy and peace and light and glory. Or we can make it a life of death and darkness. Father, you give us that choice even now to receive Christ and to, to know him and to know you and to live forever with you. Lord, we thank you for the great, great day of our salvation and the great, great day that's going to come when we see you in glory. All made possible by his blood. It's in his precious name that I pray.